Just before we recorded this podcast, Jeff Collins was fired. Do you think that the stores that sell patent leather loafers are going to go out of business in Atlanta? <laughs> Do you think the like loaf sandal loafer sandal market is going to dry up because Jeff Collins isn't there? Ugh. The tailors who make Euro trash pants. Like, what are they going to do when they can't make him another pair of 20 inch inseam pants? What are they going to do? This is Chapel Building. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're here to review the, I will say, middest, the, the middlest, the, the most mad game of the season so far by a pretty good margin. UGA's 39 to 22 victory over the Kent State Golden Flashes of Cuyahoga County, Ohio. So if this is your first time joining us, I'm Nathan. That's Justin. This is a podcast about stats and feelings and friendship and football sometimes. And today yeah. we're going to be breaking down this game from both a qualitative standpoint in terms of our experiences and some news items and just general where our heads are at, where our spirits are at, where our energy, what what wavelengths our energies are vibrating at. And then we'll be doing a quantitative review where we talk about stats and talk way too much about EPA and maybe some specific observations from the game. As always, yeah. if you like this show, feel free to hit us up on Patreon. You could be listening to this show live right now if you had gone back in time and made different decisions by going to patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. And there, for as little as $1 a month, you can find, gain access to, rather, our very, very good community. At least one of them is listening right now. So. Join us. We didn't have episodes last week. You're not going crazy. We're not trying to gaslight you. Justin. It's not you. It's me. Yeah, it's not you. It's us. Would you like to fill in the, the listeners on what happened? Oh, I don't even remember now. First one was because I think the review episode was just because our schedules got away with it from us and it just took, it, we never really figured out when to record. And we were like, yeah, it's okay. It was the same for game. And then the preview episode was, um, well, it wasn't the same for game. It was a South Carolina game, wasn't it? Oh man, it's been a long three weeks. It's been a long three weeks. But yeah, our preview episode for this show, this this game was lost to the tubes, the internet tubes, so to speak, because we had a third, uh, we had a guest on the show to talk about things. And uh, the big issue came down that uh, half the show was missing because it didn't get recorded. You know, that happens. That definitely happens. It's happened to us. And uh, when we tried to edit it down, it just was not really salvageable when we removed all the parts where we were talking to the third person. Uh, but, you know, as a listener, you would have just heard it as us talking to nobody and asking mm -hmm. for their input. <laughs> to nobody For nobody's advice. Yeah. We record these locally yeah. generally. So all, all parties involved record on their own computers and then we share the files across the tubes, as you said. And so... When we are missing a local recording, it really throws us off. However, we have updated our pr approach, and we now have a backup recording happening on Discord at all times using mm -hmm, a plugin mm -hmm. on Discord. So even as we speak right now, our good friend Craig, the Discord bot, is recording this. Hello, Craig. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Let's get into the week that was. Let's get into the game with the Golden Flashes. And we'll start here with our qualitative review, as we always do. So let's start in that qualitative review with our experience. Yeah. I'd love <laughs> what a game <laughs> that's all <laughs> before we we get too deep into our experiences can i just i want 
give me some really mid-tier, like mid-level headlines for what you would you would use to describe this game, Nathan. A game between the hedges. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a game where football was played. There were two teams. There were passes and rushes and tackles, and mm-hmm. Brock Bowers looked great. Oh, he looked 100%. really good. One hundred ten percent. Dejon Edwards, good running back. Other than that, way too many stems and seeds in this one. Yeah, yeah. Send this one back. This was this was a when you get the bunch of grapes and you accidentally get the table grapes instead of the good like bougie grapes that don't have seeds in them, <laughs> and you eat the first mm-hmm. one and you're like, what am I? What am I? An animal? I'm supposed to? What, what is this? What am I? Some kind of finch? Is this the Galapagos Islands? I'm not using I'm not using tools to pick the seeds out of these. What? No, no. <laughs> I, I'm a human. I, uh, I we domesticate foods. We don't need we don't need these yeah. seeded grapes. That's kind of what the game was like, and it was like that especially yeah. because I think we've been particularly spoiled by Georgia's, frankly, like dominant competence so far in the season. So it was kind of interesting to see them look human. So how was how was your day? Like how did you go take it all in? What was your setup this weekend? Thursday night, I took um, I took a day off on Friday, and Thursday night I went out to Greenville, South Carolina, to get away for a little while. It was really nice because this is the like the last weekend in probably a month when I won't be busy. It seems, and so it was nice to take advantage of that and go, you know, just. Get a, go somewhere where no nobody knows my name, and that was really nice. Um, mm-hmm. A little anti cheers mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, went to Greenville, hung out by in their downtown, um, ate some crepes, drank some good coffee, uh, went to all the bookstores, went to a very rare bookstore that was really cool. A lot of people maybe had this experience trying to watch the game. This was a very difficult game to watch, I found out, especially if you're not in a region that is watching this game specifically because it was on SEC Network Plus, ESPN Plus. And so it wasn't on YouTube TV. It was not on any TV in Greenville. Um, And so it was just really difficult to actually watch this game. And so I followed loosely through my ESPN app for a while. Um, and so really I, I will take partial part of the blame here for this one. You know, this one being real weird, uh, through the first half. Cause I really just didn't, I wasn't watching the game for the first time. Couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Couldn't make mm-hmm. it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out okay. You know, uh, there's a lot of really great stuff in Greenville though. If y'all have not been there, I know that Athens is very interested in modeling our downtown in a lot of ways after Greenville. Uh, and they've had a lot of uh, improvements over the last 15 to 20 years in their downtown area. And yeah, they have a Swamp Rabbit Trail runs through it. I think I've talked about this specifically on the show before because we, we went to Greenville uh, a few years back. And so this was kind of like a repeat for myself just to go and enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it, it was a really great time. There's a lot of, uh, there's some, I always find myself whenever I travel, I find the parts of it that remind me of Athens. And that's exactly what I did. I found um, in their, their sort of bougie, downtown area there's this little bar called society that was just kind of the place with the most uh personality and the best cocktails and um the sort of the hippest athens-ist folks around were in that bar and so that's kind of where i hung out for um my friday night and a little bit into saturday afternoon as well before i got to come home so it's a lot of fun it's a it's a cool town lots going on go check it out it's only like an hour and a half away from here so Hmm. that was kind of my experience but what about you? How did it go? I've never wanted to go to Greenville, South Carolina before, but here we are. This looks like here it is, some man. really interesting you would really enjoy bridges. It. There's a river. 
Oh, yeah. The I spent Reedy a lot of River. time in the Falls Park. The Reedy River runs through the Falls Park. Yeah, I and, see this uh, like really, really cool... beautiful suspension bridge. Yeah, bridge. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. So let's Lots of rooftop bars. Greenville oh, really? loves a rooftop bar, let me tell you. That's one thing you got to know about Greenville. So <laughs> One thing you got to know. I, I, I appreciate you taking partial responsibility for the results of this game, but I also have to say it's partially my fault because... I wore my new black, they're basically like high-tech golf pants that I bought for the season, and I Mm -hmm. wore them for the first three games, and then I didn't wear them at this game, because I was like, we're playing Kent State, I'll wear my old khakis from last year, these khakis got me through the national championship season, I kind of felt, I thought that all the good vibes were in the earrings, in the shoes, and the socks, but apparently they were in the pants as well, so I, I will be switching back pants, don't worry. Good call. From this time forward, Missouri, the Missouri game, I know for a fact I will not beat the game, and I'm going to be in a place where I don't need to wear good pants, but I'm still going to wear them because that's how much I care <laughs> about this. I'm going to take off whatever I'm wearing and then put on my my right pants so that I'm in a good in a in a in a good place. It was a, it was a fun game. It really was not as hot as I thought it would be, which was actually a problem because I got like patchily sunburned. I put on sunscreen, <laughs> but not enough because it wasn't as hot as I thought it was. Like I, I guess earlier, like last week, it was supposed to be like 95 degrees. And then by the time like the weather kind of turned Friday night, it was like in the 80s. So I have like two or three like weird red patches on my face. And Uh-oh. let's see. Uh, there was a little patron meetup. I saw Abby and Joel. We took a picture together where you can see me in my traitorous unlucky pants. I, I've put it in the show <laughs> notes if you want to get on Patreon and, and look at the bad mm-hmm. pants. I band is really rounding to form. They sound so good this year. I kind of felt bad for them because they had a really good halftime performance. And look, this is not the crowd's fault. I'm not blaming the fans or anything. But the crowd was a little dead because we were only beating Kent State by like 14 points at that point. And the band probably deserved a little bit more for that, you know, I thought. But still, mm-hmm. really played hard. I had to cue a voiceover that we had that we're running through our sound system for the band. And it was like on my personal iPad. And so I just sat there. I, we had the whole we had the whole mixer board set up on the fifty, or we were behind the bench before the game or before the halftime was over, rather before halftime started, and um, we had the whole mixer board that's in this giant cart that we pull out. It's this really expensive giant digital mixing board we have, and I had hooked my my laptop uh, or my uh, iPad up to it, and I sat it on top of the the cart, and we just sat there for like fifteen minutes waiting for the half to be over. So the half's over, and we drag everything out and we get it hooked up, and then I pick up my uh, my iPad, and it's like overheating cannot use or whatever so Uh-oh. luckily we had it on my the other andrew blair's phone the the front ensemble guy and so we were able to cue it but his phone is cracked so for the entire and and andrew i appreciate it but you do you got to update your phone dude uh for the entire <laughs> for the entirety of like the six minute show until i queued it i was just staring at this like tiny cracked iphone 11 looking at the front mm-hmm. ensemble waiting for my cue like counting but i did it and it, and it worked well I hit 20k, 20,000 <laughs> steps uh, for the first time this season, which is that's always a crazy game whenever I hit 20,000 steps. Oh, one other yeah. thing. I had to take so I guess like this is inside baseball stuff, but I assume this is interesting to some people. So mm-hmm. the way the game gets called from the TV networks and the way that the band and the cheerleaders and everyone is coordinated inside the stadium is they have these big like just basically like coaches headsets right and the band director has Mm -hmm. one who's calling the band stuff and then the cheerleading coach has one and i think the cheerleaders have two because it's like there's cheerleaders on both sides and basically there's a control center where they call in like hey you got 30 seconds to play or you got 45 seconds to play and it's how they coordinate so that the band and the cheerleaders don't do stuff over 
you know, whatever the ads that or makes the, sense. Yeah. the promotions are on the big screen. So I had to take the uh, headsets back up there and I got to see inside the control center and it's buck wild, dude. And it's like, I'm I not, gonna, I'm, it's in an unmarked door in Sanford and, I, or, and I'm not going to like talk about where it is because I don't want it. I don't want people like trying to find it or whatever. But it is like, <laughs> it looks like something out of a Jason Bourne movie. It's like TV screens all over the place and it's hellishly well air conditioned. I assume because there's just about like $100,000 worth of computers in there. But what yeah. I what I found out was that apparently because the main trunk fiber line goes into Sanford Stadium there, that is also where they run all of the video events all of the all of the broadcast video sports at UGA are run out of that room. So like when there's a when there's a basketball game, there are, that room is fully staffed for the basketball game. Nice. That's cool. At gym gymnastics like college baseball everything is run through that room. Hmm. Uh, so it's just weird that like, you know, 15 times in January there's just like 10 people who show up at Sanford Stadium and go to some random room <laughs> on the on the club level and you know, yeah, that is really a, odd. There's a little ante room when you go in and there's like some posters on the wall and then, you know, it just looks like the rest of Sanford and you open it up and you get like the Bill and Ted, like, like bright lights on your face. Where you're like, whoa, as you, it's all the smoke like, oh. rolls out of the bottom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so it was very cool. Uh, and, you know, the game, sometimes there are games. I mean, in the average home game, I do get to watch like the vast majority of the game, but I missed quite a bit of this one just because I was kind of running around like a chicken with my head cut off because... We didn't mm-hmm. get to play on the field at Samford, so we didn't have, we weren't, we we hadn't done as much practice on getting the front ensemble and our sound system into the stadium, so we had to leave like with eight minutes left in the half, and I, we got back with maybe three minutes left in the half, so I missed a big chunk there, and then I don't know, it's just like doing a bunch of stuff, but it was cool. Oh, one last thing before I get out of my experience, I admit to, I've been meaning mm-hmm. to say this since Samford, at the Samford game, there was a guy who found me on the track on the north side of the stadium and was like, Nathan Lawrence. And I looked at him and he was like, I love your (laughs) podcast. And I was like, thanks, man. And I don't know that I know him, but I suspect that maybe we've met before and I should have recognized him, but I didn't because he had such a glorious ponytail. And all I could look Mm -hmm. at was his ponytail because it looked so good. So whoever you are, if I should know you, I'm very sorry. you sorry. And if you were just a random fan that saw me, you made my day. I wish that I had been able to talk more. That was really nice of you uh so <laughs> please please reach That's out really nice. on twitter or something if you hear this so that i can i can personally thank you for your for improving my day uh yeah so that's <laughs> about it that it, it was a good day that's I, about I, it. I got home and i was i like i did the thing where i sat down for the first time all day and i looked at my watch and i had like nineteen thousand steps and i we were gonna go over so, to a friend's house afterwards and so I just was like, all right, wake me up when we have to leave. And I kind of just like sat on the couch like an old man and <laughs> fell asleep sitting upright. That's my favorite way to be. But do you want to do some new stuff? There's a couple of news items we got coming out of this game. Yeah, there's a there's a messy, at least one messy news item that I know we have at the top of our notes um, with one of our defensive backs, Javon Baller, uh, Bullard. Um, yeah, that that's an unfortunate situation, I know for sure. Um, yeah. If you don't already know. Uh, I found out through Twitter with Roddy Nabulsi saying, you know, what happened last night with um, Javon Bullard. He got a DUI and a whole bunch of misdemeanors that were just basically like what I would equate to like acting up um, and being on your phone and getting caught for being on your phone 
and then being underage and also drinking. So yeah, what, uh, I could say a lot of things about this, but what, what do you kind of, what are your feelings on this situation and what do you kind of want to, I guess for, uh, there's some things I would say are worth reminding people of during yeah. moments like this, but yeah. I want to ask your, your opinions first. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things. So first of all, you shouldn't drink and drive and you shouldn't yeah. in the general sense, but like there was at, when you and I were in college, there was a sense that sometimes people made a bad choice because of like the convenience of drinking and driving basically. But mm-hmm. we were in college in a time before Uber and Uber is ubiquitous in downtown Athens. It's ubiquitous all over Athens. So is Lyft. It's also not that mm-hmm. expensive in Athens. And also I, I happen to know for a fact, and I, I absolutely do know this. And I, and I know it firsthand from people who I think know that there is a guy on UGA staff that if you call him, he will just come pick your ass up. No questions asked. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think that's a problem. I don't think there's an ethical violation with that because, you know, I think we should all have that person who can come bail us out in, in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. The other thing that struck me was that he blew a point oh oh two and he got seven misdemeanors for it. It's it's a political situation in the whole country, but particularly at UGA, the relationship between the Athens Police Department and the UGA football team has not always been good. And I don't think we have to pretend that that's the case. I mean, if you look at the history of weird misdemeanors that are way less important than DUI, uh, you know, like emerging from an alley without, with, I think was one of the things that got someone arrested, like having an ID <laughs> that was, you know, two that's days so ridiculous. Day. Yeah. So without making any accusations about the police officer involved, because I think you have a note here, like we don't know what happened. Javon Bullard could no. have been way drunker than 0.002 seems. 0.02 I think is like one beer generally. And if he had yep. been of age, it would not have gotten him of DUI. Now he shouldn't have driven, driven after drinking. So I'm not explaining his actions, but I, and obviously maybe Javon Bullard was just being a jackass, which like, or maybe the cop was being a jackass. I don't know. I don't support drinking and driving, but I have to think that there was a better solution to this problem than someone gets seven misdemeanors. I feel the same way. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, it could have been a situation where like there's, there's a lot of speculation that can happen. Um, we could speculate that maybe it's one of those situations where they have to be really hard on the football players because mm-hmm. they want to make, you know, an example of them or somebody may have been being really rude to somebody else. And that's just how it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I think our only, only opinion is that don't drink and drive. Yes. There are things to do that you can do so many other things. But this ain't it. And at the end of the day, I think, remember that they're kids. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It, it was a bad idea. It was stupid. But yes, they are kids. And I don't mm-hmm. think I just looked this up. And if you weigh 180 pounds, which is what Javon Bullard laid at the beginning of the year, a point oh two indicates that you had one drink. Now, mm-hmm. he might have had booze on him that was in the car, which Jesus, don't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I again, we don't know what happened. Don't drink and drive, but also like <laughs> the I, I still I still come back to the fact that like I was this what needed to happen? Was this was justice served here? Yeah. I don't I don't know. I think that one of the charges was not showing your ID when asked for it as well. And so that's what led me to believe earlier that he may have been like, No. <laughs> I want to give us props because I think we managed to navigate a relatively political situation without pissing off half of our audience. So you're mm-hmm. welcome. Mm-hmm. 
Go ahead and change those one star <laughs> reviews back to five, please. <laughs> would have been real easy. <laughs> yeah, would have been real easy for us to get up here and just do the thing where we get out over our skis and make a bunch of people hate us, but we didn't. And I think we were reasonable. And every interaction I've had with ACC police has been professional and fine and great even. Validate so, us. Please, I need this. Say that I'm good. Anyway, so another completely non-political but totally football-related news item was Kenny McIntosh walked off with a, a kind of weird-looking tackle that was happening that happened at, in the third or fourth quarter and was in the tent and then came out and was on the bike. Now, Kirby Smart has since reported that because of the cut blocking that was being employed by Kent State all day, which is a pretty common tactic from teams that have a, a size disadvantage, which they had a slight one, but they looked pretty big, actually. But because of the cut blocking employed that Kenny McIntosh had a thigh contusion, like he got tackled in his thigh and had a pretty bad bruise slash stinger in his thigh. Now, having had a pretty bad bruise on my thigh, I know that it puts you down for the count. It's a very big mm. muscle, and when it seizes up, it's like... It sucks. It's so bad. We saw him on the bike after he came out of the tent, and that makes sense because what happens to you when you have a thigh stinger like that or just like a deep thigh bruise is that like your whole... Or at least what happened to me when this happened to me was that my whole leg like shrimped up mm-hmm. and just like like tightened up. So it seems like he should be fine. He is by far, I think, our best threat out of the backfield, both in a... I mean, definitely in a pass catching sense, but also in a running sense. So it's good that that's less than it could have been, honestly. That is true. Yeah. And it's better that it happened now at the beginning of the season than anything else. So hopefully he'll just kind of bounce right back. That would be pretty great. We really love Mr. Kenny, Mr. McIntosh himself. Are there any other sort of qualitative things you want to talk about a little bit before we move into numbers? There is one thing I want to talk about, and I think this can kind of lead us into the quantitative preview, which is I would like to hear your take on the game as a whole. I've had this question several times from several different people in several different group chats about, you know, what does it mean that UGA is still the number one team in the nation per, I believe, the AP poll just came out. They're still number one. I'm curious what your sort of takeaway from all of this is. Not just do we deserve to be number one. I mean, where's your head at when it comes to to the season or that game? Like, what do you think that game tells us? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think that you could look at it two ways. One way you could look at it is from sort of the eye test, the qualitative standpoint. You can say that was weird. That was messy. But I think that looking at it in that way, you're you're bringing with you the sort of perspective and biases of the last, what, uh, 18 games that we've seen Georgia play which those last 18 games, 15 of those were from last year leading up to the national championship and then winning the national championship. Last three games were post-national championship. We're the reigning champions at this point. If this were 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, whatever, we wouldn't feel as if this were that bad. This would not feel the way it does coming out of this game specifically with that context. On one hand, sure, it's unfair for me to say, like, we can't, you know, look at this game in a vacuum. But I will just remind everybody, myself included, that, you know, we're I know we're operating at a different level. We're operating with different expectations. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. And I don't think it it detracts from anything that we've done thus far in this season, or especially from last year at all, either. It, you know, at times, I think it was a little weird. But maybe maybe you can actually speak to this a little bit more as we get into the quantitative things, too, is that some of the things that I think I read were that Kent State runs some very unique sort of play calling. And it was very different than anything else we play normally. It's 
not a team at the same talent level as Georgia, of course, or any other team we might play this season going forward. But at the same time, at times it felt like they weren't taking it as serious as they could have much like me who didn't make a plan to watch the game while on vacation and you who <laughs> didn't wear your very specific pair of pants. <laughs> I didn't wear my special boy pants. Exactly. We didn't we we as listeners and audience members of uh, you know of Georgia did not prepare in the way that we would have had this been a team we would be worried about. And I'm sure there are some instances of players who may have done the same thing. But at the end of the day, it still takes a talented team to be able to turn it back around and like get their shit together enough to win the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they did. And and it shows in the numbers when we go back through it. I think overall, it's it's fine. It's not like one game does not ruin everything. I think that the context of last season and the way that we've handled our season up to this point does help us hold on to that first place spot a little bit longer than than anyone else. We've had at this point in the season more standout games, more dominant showings than any other team that may be considered for first place right this minute. So it'd be different if Alabama was playing a, a, a highly ranked opponent this weekend and came away with a big win. So what are your thoughts before we get into numbers? I basically agree. I, I think the combination of the excellence that we've seen in the first three games and the fact, like you said, that we are defending the national title does sort of contextually put a different spin on it. I sit with John Motes, who is one of the drum instructors for Redcoats, and, and I sit next to him during the games. And John will, I, I'm not sure that he'll listen to this. I know he does sometimes, but John will tell you that he is about the most pessimistic Georgia fan that you'll ever see mm-hmm. and even sitting next to him i don't think either of us ever got the sense that we were going to lose this game i remember very clearly in 2019 when we lost in overtime to south carolina that when things started to go wrong john and i looked at each other and the expression was just kind of like well this is now going to happen like the, the <laughs> just like the yeah. dread in your stomach of like Ugh, same same old same old but i mean i don't want to explain away the bad things that happened and there are some things that make me think like come on guys like we really yeah really gotta get that cleaned up but the score of this game but for one or two plays could have easily been something more like 45 to 10 or something and mm-hmm. the game could have basically gone exactly the same and if Chris Smith fills a wide receiver screen correctly, or if Lad McConkey doesn't drop like basically an unforced fumble, then I don't know if we're really having this conversation, right? And I, and I think I can statistically back that up, but ultimately I, I never got the sense that we were gonna lose this game. Even when it was a yeah. nine point game, I still felt like, look, every time we have the ball, we're moving and it will. And yes, they're moving the ball on us more than we thought that they would. And yes, we're not gonna cover the spread. And I still I'm pissed off about that. Right. But ultimately, I think that this game was simultaneously as close as it looked and not as close as it looked because UGA just shot itself in the foot a couple of times. And it really only took like Mm -hmm. three or four plays to really make this a closer game than it than it had any right to be. Now, to Kent Kent State's absolute credit, just a well-played game, a well-designed game. Sean Lewis is a I think a hot up and coming new coach. He he runs a lot of like quick tempo stuff. He uh, they, they actually didn't run tempo as much as I thought they would. But I mean, he's a guy who has a reputation as being a, an offensive mastermind. He kind of comes from the the Bryles, uh, Josh Heupel up tempo tree. Uh, I on the way actually to take those headsets up to the command center, I had to go through the elevator lobby of the bottom level of Sanford, which is where it's right mm-hmm. behind the opposing visiting team locker room and it's where they do the visiting team post-game press conference so i had to like come through the back of it and they had all these dividers set up and you know there was all these people being like Shh, you know like we're, we're doing a press conference and of course like 
absolutely. I, I, I was extra silent. I turned my phone off. I was so nervous about it. But in the time when I was waiting for the elevator, I got to listen to Sean Lewis's like post game conference and see him kind of through the divider That's there. Pretty cool. And, yeah, it was cool. And that guy is a he has what I would describe as like a classical James Franklin football coach voice. He just like absolutely mm-hmm. reverberates a room and his voice is like low and hoarse because of all the yelling he does and like he was at yelling volume but i don't think he thought he was yelling you know what i mean like i don't think he was like angry at anyone he was just like well you know this is a good team and we really care about each other we got heart i'm sorry for the audio quality of what just happened uh, to you and your earphones i was really kind of struck by a how he had that voice and that demeanor but was still incredibly articulate and b i mean i've seen several i mean a lot of head coaches in the sec and in other conferences you know, in person, like on the sidelines and stuff. And I will say that you can tell why people are highly on, high on Sean Lewis, just seeing him talk for a minute. Like he is a dude who has a very big presence, a very big physical presence. He just kind of fills up a room in a very charismatic fashion. So that's all a long way of saying you can't take away from anything from Kent State who came in and but for a couple of exceptions, I didn't get the sense that they were playing not to lose that they were, or they were playing to keep the game close. They went for two to try to make it a mm-hmm. one touchdown game. Like they were doing the things as though they could win the game. And I think that's I mean, incredibly respectable. I think that kind of takes us into our quantitative review here. So we are going to start out. We will have a review of our CBC R2 probably on on our next uh, preview episode for Mizzou. But so we don't actually have that updated yet because Russ is still hard at work as we tape this on Sunday evening. However, we do have our game on paper advanced box store breakdown with stats from ESPN and metrics from Robert Binion and all sorts of stuff. So I, I sort of looking at this page overall and i think this kind of matches my thoughts on the game itself this was a game that uga like i said statistically had well in hand there are some things that kent state did well and there's some things that uga didn't do well but this is a game that uga never had lower than about a 95 percent win probability in despite it not being what we want it to be it's hard for me to say that this was something where like uga was at dire chances of losing you know uga was an 88th percentile of epa per play they were in the 97th percentile success rate, 71st percentile right yards per play. They had a very good EPA per rush, 97th percentile there. 67th percentile yards per drop pack at 7.35. 75th percentile on third down success rate, they were 50% on the day. They did not get stuffed very often, and they also did not give up a big habit rate. 15% havoc rate, 79th percentile. So just on that overall team stats rundown, this is a game that UJ should have won. There are some things that are concerning, right? Only 48th percentile in EPA per drop back, which is just okay. You know, our EPA, I think, was much lower per drop back because of the fumble and the interception. The one that really kind of like, I think, stands out is the explosive play rate still being in the 15th percentile. I think at this point, we can say that UGA's offense has just not been consistently explosive. They have been very good at converting third downs, so that hasn't mattered. Even on a bad day, they converted 50% of their third downs. But I think it's fair to say like 3% explosive plays when passing, 8% when running. And at least one of those rushing plays was 
Brock Bauer sinking in around 75 yards. And when you look at the EPA per play having removed explosive plays, it does make you kind of be like, huh, about the passing game. Our passing game EPA per play is was 0.03 when you remove uh, explosive plays, or negative 0.03, which is not good. And our EPA per play when rushing was still pretty good without explosive plays. We, we, Despite some runs from Kendall Milton, which we can talk about in a second, that didn't look very aesthetically pleasing, pretty successful running the ball all day. And despite having some runs against us that made us look like we didn't know how to run fill, Kent State had a rushing EPA per play of negative 0.03, which is in the 40th percentile. It was a game that was pretty dominant, despite some flaws in the armor that we normally have not seen so far this year. But you can't pretend that this wasn't a pretty dominant game from UGA. It just wasn't as dominant as you think. 17% stop rate from this UGA defense is still very good. 15% havoc plays created, seven tackles for loss, three sacks, and a pick from this UGA defense. So that's very good. That's pretty good. And, you know, giving up 22 points, you don't love that. But this is also a game when, if we look at our turnover luck, like, the expected turnovers recovered for Kent State was 0.7, and they recovered two. And they so they basically got about 7.5 luck, turnover luck points, and we had negative 7.5. So if you just subtract eight from their score and add eight to our score, I think that's a good way of thinking about this game, right? So, like... If this game, instead of doing being 39 to 22, was 47 to 16 or whatever, I'm, I was trying to make it make sense in my head, like how we would get to that number <laughs> in a football game. And the whole score uh-huh. is so messed up that I'm not even going to try. But if this was 47 to 16 or 47 to 14, I guess we would have a much different thought about it. Yeah, you'd feel better about it. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess we can kind of talk about some individual things that happened. Lad McConkey had a very bad, not good day very bad day he had a day that i would say is reminiscent of a middle school book about how much middle school sucks you know it was like diary of a wimpy kid day (laughs) he's not a wimpy kid but but i felt like that was the vibe from him things just were kind of going Mm -hmm. comically wrong i mean look he hasn't left a punt so far he's been the first team punt returner for the whole year i don't Mm -hmm. think it's going to be a recurring problem especially now now that it's happened the one that really got me was turn was the fumble it was a pretty good play on the ball from the defender but it was still just like not a play that should happen. I'm not saying it's a fluke, but you know, he also had a really bad drop where he would have probably had a touchdown. He was just like open behind the defense and the ball went through his hands. Stett graded out well on PFF, which I don't know how much I trust that, but he had 88.1 PFF grade, which was his second highest of the year. I think only South Carolina was higher where he had something like 90. His EPA per drop back is pretty bad, but got affected heavily by the fumble and the pick. He had an adjusted completion percentage of over, I think, think 85%. I'm just doing that math in my head when I looked at it. I counted at least three drops from wide receivers. I mean, I thought that aside from a bad throw on an interception that he shouldn't have made, I thought it was a fine day from him. His overall base stats, his counting stats looked relatively good. He was 27 for 36 for 272 yards and a pick. Not great. He had a 58.1 XQBR, which is again, not amazing, but I don't think he was in any danger of costing us the game. Our boy Lad was one of the only players that had a recorded stat for UGA that actually removed win percentage. He had a negative one win percentage because he had a fumble and he muffed a punt. So I don't know, man. I'm not too terribly concerned. I look at the stats and I'm like, look, this was a better team than we gave them credit for. This was a well-coached team. 
we played a bad game and we were missing our best defensive player. Jalen Carter mm-hmm. barely appeared in this game. I'm not really that worried about it. I think this is a classic. Kirby Smart likes this game because he can kick some butt during practice this week game where he just mm-hmm. is, he is just going to absolutely tear this team a new one, I'm imagining. Do you have any reaction to any of those stats? I think that you're right. Like it was good teams have bad days. That stuff happens. And past that, I mean, it also just looked kind of conservative. It was conservative play calling, conservative playing on on our part. And it kind of shows that way in the stats, too. It's like if you look down the explosive plays, we had one passing play that was considered explosive and three rushing plays considered explosive. That's good for three and eight percent, respectively, of each. But even looking at our EPA per play and EPA without explosive plays, everything's still positive. Like if it's all above zero, I think that that's. It's one of those things where it's like, it's just as difficult to guess the wrong answer as it is to guess the right answer. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're still doing it in at a rate that lets you pass, then that's, that's still pretty difficult and you're still passing, you know? And I'm not trying to, you know, sort of make excuses or say like, ah, don't worry about it. It's more like, I find myself asking myself, I guess this happened last year too, where I'm like, are we just really good? And we're kind of holding back in a way or am I crazy? Mm-hmm. Is it not real? Like, is Georgia back? Like, like where? Tell me. Don't gaslight me, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Please, just tell me what it is we're doing, and and so that I can just enjoy myself. I think we're in a funny transition phase where we're just trying to figure out how how do we what do we do with our hands as fans? I agree. I mean, because I think that the fact is that we are in a different psychological phase as UGA fans, and so. Trying to figure out what a bad performance against a below average opponent means is different in a post national championship world. It's especially different mm-hmm. in a post defending national champion world. Nobody bats yeah. an eye when Nick Saban and Alabama play with their food against, you know, Louisiana Tech or whatever, and then Nick Saban gets up on the post game press conference and just like loses his mind. And I thought that the tone from Kirby was actually like surprisingly positive. You know, he talked a lot about how like, they have a lot to learn and we didn't play up the standard all the time, blah, blah, blah. And you know how Kent state is a good team, et cetera. And so I, it's like, this is a different phase. I don't know if it's a different phase for the team, right? Like, because I think the team is just going to do what it does. But I think for us as fans, we have to also consider that like playing at the very height of the sport with consistency and doing the sort of vision that Kirby smart has of just like focusing on every single play, treating every week as, as it's the same. It's basically impossible mm-hmm. to do. And even last year, in a in a year where UGA had its magical season, there were a couple of games where we were on here talking about like what is Stetson Bennett doing. We had some moments last year, never a game that quite stunk as much as this one, but definitely had some moments last year, even where we were like, okay, come on, what's going on here, guys? Like, who are we going to start? What's the quarterback situation? So, I would caution you if you were a UGA fan who is overly reactive to just like chill and i know people Mm -hmm. hate being cold told to calm down but this is not a complex emotional issue this is football and i'm telling you that you should chill because i think uga is still one of the best teams in the nation they are at worst if you if you can if you are the least charitable that you can be about uga you were say that they were the third best team in the nation that's a team that should go to the college football playoff and has a shot at the national championship that hasn't changed now i think it's also worth talking about hey i think if we're going to say that about uga we also we also have to be honest that alabama is probably still pretty good and mm-hmm. they of course they totally blew out vanderbilt this weekend so that single game doesn't change our thoughts on them but they've beaten a good team on the road how good texas is i don't know but they are probably still going to go to a bowl this year right and uga has yeah. as well and so I, i'm not i think at this point 
it's not that we don't know anything about UGA or it's too early to say anything about the season, but ultimately the calculus of UGA, Ohio State, Alabama should probably all three be in the playoff has not yet changed for me. And I think that mm-hmm. if you're going to be honest about how this game went for UGA and how it was, you know, a serious, a, there were a series of issues with this team, but it was not a serious indictment of the team's strength as a whole. I think you have to be honest on the other side that that's true nationally as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of players I'd like to talk about individually. I thought that, man, it's hard because. I don't like to contribute to any kind of slander or negative thoughts about a college football player who works their tail off, and especially when it's recovered from injuries. And Kendall Milton's dad got on Twitter today and was talking about how vile people had been. So listen, don't tag or talk about kids online about how they suck. Like, don't. Right? Yeah. Kendall Milton is a very good running back. I don't know that he is totally back to where he was pre-injury. I also think that... He is a guy who doesn't look as fluid as he often did before his injury to me. He didn't have like a horrible day on the day. He had nine carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown was from one yard out. He punched it in with Bear Alexander fullback play. He averaged 4.56 yards per play. He had a 0.14 EPA per per play added, and he had 1.3 EPA on the day. That's all good. He had a 44% success rate. That's fine. So it wasn't like he had a bad day or whatever, but several of those non-red zone carries, he looked like he was thinking too much. He wasn't hitting the hole naturally. There were a couple of plays where the offensive line gave up immediate penetration that aren't his fault, but I think that it, it is worth mentioning and at least worth saying that when Kenny McIntosh went down and he had that thigh contusion and you know we were up like 17 points and we needed to ice the game they put Dejon Edwards in there who had a very good game 12 carries 73 yards 6.8 yards per play 0.13 EPA per play 1.58 EPA added 50% success rate I think without taking anything away from Kendall Milton when we look forward about the way this running back room looks going like into the rest of the season that it's worth pointing out that it looks like Dejon Edwards might have made a move. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't take anything away from Kendall Milton or to say he's bad. That just is what it is. Now, when it comes to receivers, it's almost so obvious. Like, I don't even need to talk about it. Brock Bowers is the best receiver on this team. And he might be the best player in the country. That's just what it is. He's so good. It's absurd. He had two rushing <laughs> touchdowns, right? He had two carries for 77 yards and two touchdowns. He, he 38.5 yards per play, which of course that doesn't mean anything. 3.75 EPA per play rushing, <laughs> 7.5 EPA per play per touch on the ground. Through the air, five catches on six targets for 60 yards, 12 yards per play, 0.59 EPA per play. That's incredible. 67% success rate on eight catches. It's also very good. He is, when we came in, I think early in this year, I said Jalen Carter was the best player on the team. And I, I still probably think that in terms of like his ability to play in the NFL right now. But Brock Bowers is a sophomore who could play in the NFL next year. He is yeah. maybe the best offensive player in the nation. He's not going to win the Heisman, but honestly, he probably should be in New York if he keeps playing like this. He is incredible. He, I, I mean, there's nothing else to say. I mean, he's not just the best tight end in the nation. He might be the best person who receives passes in the nation. The best receiver at any position it's in the nation. It's stupid. Yeah. He's basically positionless at this point. Put him in the backfield. Put him in at Wildcat QB. He can do anything. I love him. God bless him. Brock Bowers is president. <laughs> I thought Darnell Washington really good. Two catches on three targets for 39 yards. Had a very insane uh, catch on a play that went behind his back. Dominic Blaylock had two catches on two targets for 19 yards. He looked really good as well. That's That bodes well. He's a very talented player. Kyrus Jackson only had one catch for 11 yards. 
I don't know what Kyrus's place in the offense is right now. I think all of these wide receivers are kind of struggling against the tight end room that we have. I thought that Dylan Bell, he had one catch on two targets. He looked fine at times. Marcus Rosby Jack Saint looked pretty good. Two catches on three targets for 25 yards. I think it is clear, even having said all of that, that this team misses A.D. Mitchell and Arian Smith. Mm-hmm. I read online today that Arian Smith is improving and dressed out for the game, even though he didn't play. So if he's back by Auburn, that's great. He can take the top off of defense like nobody else in this wide receiver room. Uh, my understanding is that A.D. Mitchell was held out because we were playing Kent State and that he could have gone against Auburn or Mizzou. We expected to see him as well. I think when these two come back, that adds a different dimension to this offense. As good as Brock Powers and Darnell Washington are, you need to have some outside wide receiver threats. That's mm-hmm. what I imagine we will find. Any other notes on this game or just thoughts quantitatively? It'll be okay. <laughs> That's how I feel about it, you know? Still early in the season. We got a lot of football to play. I think what's more interesting is is other things going on around the league, which we'll get to in just a moment, that our schedule seems to very quickly be turning into a much more difficult schedule than we thought in the off season, And so... What we really need to be focusing on is being conservative, is figuring out what's going wrong, fixing those things in practice, and getting everybody as healthy as possible before we actually have to show up and show out. So I think that that's kind of my takeaway from this game is like, just get the W and move on. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go around the SEC. Pitch me some stuff. Talk to me about what you see. Ooh, so Tennessee and Florida, it was a knife fight, like a glass knife fight, glass cannon knife fight. If you can put all those things together somehow, Tennessee and Florida did it. If you're looking at their game on paper, I do believe that both of them had upwards of 30 EPA on offense, which was nuts. But on the defensive side of the ball, both those teams were like, defense, never heard of her. What's Mm -hmm. that? And so, yeah, the Tennessee and Florida games are looking much more interesting at this point. Did you get to see any of those or, or look into the the stats on those at all it's interesting to me that with a running quarterback that outside of anthony richardson florida didn't do a lot in the running game trevor atn had nine carries for 35 yards montreal johnson jr had eight carries for 18 yards and a touchdown naquan wright had eight carries for 26 yards outside of anthony richardson who had two fumbles by the way Mm -hmm. and an interception there there really wasn't a lot to talk about in that rushing game, which I think is a problem for them because Anthony Richardson looked better this week. He had two touchdowns and a pick 24 for 44 for 253 yards, 10 yards per play, 34.6 EPA, which is very good overall, but but he only had a 53% success rate. So I don't know, man, like I'll talk about Tennessee in a second, but this Florida team, 42nd percentile EPA per rush. They had a lot of run stuffs given up. Yeah. Tennessee on the day defensively had five havoc plays, three rushing, They had four tackles for loss and a sack, and then they had the pick. But then if you look at Tennessee's rushing defense, Florida had seven stuffed runs. So 17% of the times they tried to run, it was stuffed for less than zero gain. And then they had 19 stopped runs of less than or equal to two yards. 46% of their runs on the day for Florida went for two yards or less. That's not Mm -hmm. good. That's not good at all. And then if we look at available yards percentage, and this is what's like buck wild to me, Florida had 84% available yards gained. So like 84% of the yards that they could have gained, they did. Tennessee had 85%. And yet this is a game that Tennessee never went below 50% win probability. So I, when you have two teams that have basically equal EPA and basically equal yard available yards gained, yard share gained. It was a five-point win, mm-hmm. but I actually think it was closer than that. Tennessee, yeah. offensively, like you said, they looked really good. Hendon Hooker was 22 for 28, 340 in yards, two touchdowns, no picks, but he did take three sacks. 
Brew McCoy looked really good. Ramel Caton looked really good. He was replacing their their best wide receiver, whose name I can't remember, was injured. So, I mean, look, I think Tennessee is pretty formidable. I think they look pretty good this year. I'm not sure what they really are going to do against this UJ front in the run game, even though we UJ has proved susceptible to the run. They ran it 56% of the time. They had 41% stopped runs. That's not good mm-hmm. at all. They average 1.64 line yards per carry. Again, also not good. So I don't know, man. You, I think your overall premise of this schedule suddenly looks a lot stronger because of Florida and Tennessee is true. Mm-hmm. But I still think I would take us above both of those teams. What did you want to say about AM and Arkansas? For one thing, if you look on the game on paper and the EPA chart, it, I've never seen a steeper drop from a team than I have with this Arkansas EPA chart. In the second half, it just drops off. <laughs> Looking at that and not having watched the game at all, which everyone's going to be talking about the kicker and and sort of um, what has been coined as oinking the ball off the mm-hmm. top of the, uh, the, field, the field goal uprights. Not doinking. This is oinking because Arkansas. That, you can't blame the kicker in that moment. It was just... I, I can't understand what could have gone so wrong to have just dropped off in this way. Like the quarterback had to have just died. Like they decided they put in the resignation. There was no two week notice. It goes from 8.25 all the way to negative 0.57 and then does not go above negative five for the rest of the game. If you look at the big plays, that was an Arkansas mm-hmm. two point conversion attempt. That was a fumble return for a touchdown. That was negative 13.94. That's EPO. right. Yeah. That also subtracted 23.7 win percentage added from Arkansas's chance of winning the game. That was basically the the play that turned the game on one play, which is pretty Mm -hmm. wild. Man, I think Arkansas is still pretty good. I don't know if I would say they're going to beat Alabama, but I think they're probably better than this game showed. Absolutely, yeah. Arkansas is still a good team. Uh, Jimbo Fisher is just Jimbo Fisher. I think mm-hmm. he just gets he just has what like he just has luck. It's not good or bad. It's <laughs> just luck in general. <laughs> yeah, things just happen to Jimbo. He's like, yep, could have told you that was going to happen the whole damn time. Like, shut up. Jimbo Fisher is the kind of guy that instead of a lucky rabbit's foot, he just has a monkey's paw. And he rubs the monkey's paw, and he's like, mm-hmm. I sure do hope something happens. And then the monkey's paw curls, and maybe something good happens, or maybe a player gets <laughs> Shigella. Who knows? I'm just imagining him carrying this monkey's paw around, and he's like, from Rocket Power, the cartoon from Nickelodeon, he's just like, woogity, woogity, woogitying his monkey's paw all day, and hoping, praying even, something happens. Can we talk about the 800-pound anthropomorphic blue bird with teeth in the room? <laughs> the most terrifying midwestern bird can we talk about the jayhawk can we talk about how we need to rat we need to rank kansas hashtag rank kansas what's going on yeah everyone's talking about it online like rank kansas kansas having a wild season they're 4-0 this this is more games than they've won in years but let me just provide some context to to the the amount of bs this actually is is that kansas has four wins four wins against tennessee tech west virginia university houston and duke Ole miss has four wins there versus Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa. One of these teams is ranked, and one of these teams is ranked 14th, or unranked, and one of them is 14th. I won't bother telling you which is which, because I think you can guess. Rank Kansas, <laughs> so, you cowards. Rank Kansas. I do want to correct something. The Jayhawk does not have teeth. It does have a very virulent, virulently red tongue, which I think is pretty cool. Jayhawks actually is was originally named for Civil War guerrilla fighters, sort of the John mm-hmm. Brown and uh, abolitionist guerrilla fighters, which later it's became cool. the border war with Missouri. So yeah, 
that is pretty cool. Rock chalk or whatever. Rank Kansas, you cowards. I think Lance Leipold is a really good coach. And I know that he's going to be considered for the Nebraska head coaching vacancy probably. But, like, dude, mm-hmm. I hope he stays. And, I mean, if he doesn't, that's fine. But I hope he stays because he might win 10 games and go to the Capital One Bowl and they make him a statue. They ought to at that point. Yeah. If he ever goes to, like, yeah. one of the former BCS Bowls, they just need to, like, name the stadium after him at that point. For God's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> he's really making it happen. So here's the last news item of the day, which I think it's appropriate that we left it to the very end of the show because, like, womp womp. But <laughs> just... Just before we recorded this podcast, Jeff Collins was fired. Do you think that the stores that sell patent leather loafers are going to go out of business in Atlanta? <laughs> Do you think the like loaf sandal, loafer sandal market is going to dry up because Jeff Collins isn't there? Ugh. The tailors who make Euro trash pants... Like, what are they going to do when they can't make him another pair of 20 inch inseam pants? What are they going to do? I don't know. Anyway, Jeff Collins was fired. We all knew he was going to be fired. It's all over with the shouting. I think they might actually fire. They, they probably ought to fire their athletic director as well, but we'll see. I think that's going to happen as well. Yeah. I don't know about the whole Georgia Tech Deion Sanders thing. I mean, sure. I think it'd be a good hire. I wouldn't want to play him every year. I think he's a good coach. But if you're Deion Sanders, is like Georgia Tech the play. Like, Deion Sanders is Mm-mm. ambitious, and he wants a Power 5 job, and I get that. I feel like Deion Sanders could get a better job than Georgia Tech. I don't know that Georgia Tech is a sleeping giant. I think they act, they definitely have access geographically to talent. But to get said talent, you have to be not trash, poop trash, which they yeah. are right now. I don't know. They've been moving, quote-unquote, in the right direction for years, you know, having gone away from antiquated offensive schemes and everything. But that's come on. If you, if you still, at this point, can't recruit in this region and they can't <laughs> and do well what's the deal what's going on yeah i don't i i just don't know i don't really have an opinion on it like it's not that i don't hate georgia tech but i really hated georgia tech under paul johnson and like i would love to get to nine wins which i think is the record streak in this rivalry against georgia tech mm-hmm. and it would be way easier if they rehired paul uh, if they rehired jeff collins or hadn't fired him but I don't have the enmity against this team that I used to have. And maybe that's the SSRIs talking. There's your B- there's your Nathan Bingo card. <laughs> Nathan mentions SSRIs. Bingo. Anyway, but maybe it it's the anti-anxiety meds talking. But, like, I just don't even hate them enough to, like, like sure, go hire another coach, man. Get a recruiting class that's ranked above, like, 50th, and then I'll be interested. I think that's all we got for today. Want to see us out? I would love to. So, this has been Chapel Bell Curb. If you like what you heard today... We'd love if you would rate us wherever you got this podcast, whether it be Apple Podcast or Spotify or I don't know where else you would get it. Maybe some kind of like pirated Russian ultra high frequency mm. radio station that puts out normally just like KGB codes, but is now putting our podcast Tell out. Tell us about it. Whatever. Yeah. Rate us. We love it. Subscribe to us. You can find us anywhere that you get podcast. And it's always weird to me when people say that on a podcast because it's like, you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> you can find this podcast wherever you found the podcast. Anyway. If you want to yell at us or talk to us or send us ASMR of you complimenting us, cool. Do that. Yeah. You can find us on email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard today and you would like to support the show, we'd love if you found us over on patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve. As little as $1 a month gets you access to our excellent community and discord of patrons. We are going to be planning some meetups soon, which, by the way, I'm saying this on air so that we have to talk about it. We are planning some meetups of our patrons <laughs> soon, and we might even have a live show or two coming up. We'll see. So we will catch you next weekend 
or this coming weekend, rather, in Como, Columbia, Missouri. I mean, I'm not going to be there, but yeah, I get, yeah. my spirit will be there. My astral projection will catch you there. And in parts <laughs> unknown. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs.